This episode is brought to you by Bend a Table, a monthly food subscription service for avid home cooks focused on delicious and sustainable pantry items. Learn more at bendatable.com. That's B-E-N-T-O-T-A-B-L-E.com. And when you use code HRN for a new subscription, you get $20 off, and we at HRN get $10. Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Nastasia Lopez is coming to you from Stanford, Connecticut, and we got Jean Nahul coming to you from, what do you call that, Murray Hill? What is that? Yep, Murray Hill. And Matt is in his Brooklyn booth, right? You're not back in the Rhode Island, are you? In Providence Plantation? Yeah, Sunset Park, baby. Yeah. Where the hell is Sunset Park exactly? What is that? Uh, South of Park Slope. And why do they call it Sunset Park since they're like, like, to me, like all sunset things need to be in California where the sun sets, where when you're on the water, the sun sets. Yeah, but we have, we have an elevated park that is like legit the best place to watch the sun set. Uh-huh. I so mean, N- outside N- of California. Nastasia is a connoisseur of uh, the sun going up and down. Uh, have you ever been on, like, I'm sure like the north side of Long Island is also a good place to watch the sunset because you can pretend that you're, you can pretend that there's no land to your, to your west, right? Well, then you have the buildings like outlining the sunset, which is nice when you're in Long Island City. No, not Long Island City, the actual Long Island. When you're on the sound looking over, you can kind of pretend that it's the ocean, right? Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Nastasia once sent me a... Oh, no, was, she had said what a nice... Sun, no, she was going to look at a sunset, and I said to her, hey, how is the sunset? And then before she could answer, what did I say, Nastasia? You said, you know what, never mind. I've seen every sunset. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's my friend and business partner. Yeah. 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 So that's occasionally when she wants to show that I have no... Uh, no heart she'll be she'll bust out the I've seen every sunset um, so uh, last week by the way uh, we took a week off uh, as you know we were um, out at the uh, rallies and protests here in New York um, for uh, in support of Black Lives Matter and in support of uh, George Floyd Breonna Taylor uh, and their families Uh, So I just want to say, obviously, all of that stuff is still going on. Uh, We're doing the radio show this week uh, anyway. And uh, because I guess, you know, John and and Nastasia, we figured this is going to be a a, a long, 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 long road. So uh, we want you to know we we still um, want you to go out and support, do what you can to support Black Lives Matter. Go out to rallies. Uh, I know there's going to be a number of rallies this weekend. We're going to go to... um, what do, you, do you guys have anything to add? Go to marches and protests if you can, and if you feel safe and comfortable doing it in light of the COVID. Um, and if you're able to, you know, I don't know about speaking for you and Nastasia, but, you know, if you can donate to some funds, donate to some bailout funds, donate to the NAACP, donate to Black Lives Matter. There are a lot of really great organizations out there right now where your money will make a difference. Right. And, uh, yeah, I feel extremely fortunate in that because I'm antibody positive, uh, I don't, I'm not personally worried about going, um, going out and, and protesting. But when you do go out and protest, please, you know, try to maintain, um, I mean, it's impossible out there to maintain a safe distance, but, you know, try to make sure you wear your masks, 
and try to stay safe when, you, when you're out there. And an excellent point that was brought up um, on one of the um, at one of the rallies was if you have a business, uh, you know, try try to think about doing business with black-owned businesses as a as a as a thing that um, allies can do. Uh, who have businesses try to make a point of seeking out black-owned businesses to do work with. Um, what do you what do you guys have? Uh, anything else you want to uh, you want to add? Uh, I think that's I mean, great. If, if you want to support both Heritage Radio and uh, the Philando Castile Foundation, Heritage is donating. Well, Heritage is like giving ten uh, percent of the proceeds that come into Heritage this week uh, to Philando Castile Foundation. So, uh, you know, that's I did not. not I, did, I did not know that. Um, I did not know that. And also, obviously, you know. Uh, in in a related note, the Museum of Food and Drink. This is like this is a plea for a plea for help uh, at the beginning. But the Museum of Food and Drink, obviously, uh, which you know John is still working for while he works for us at, at Booker and Dax. We're still working hard on getting our African slash American uh, exhibit up. More on that later because I thought I'd do for Classics in the Field today one of uh, Dr. Jessica Harris's, who's our lead curator one of her uh, best known books and the one that introduced me to her, but that's for later in the program. Um, so any of you guys, uh, any of you guys eat anything interesting, do anything interesting this week from a food standpoint? Um, I'm fermenting out some kiwis to make into vinegar. Why kiwis? They're already so know. high in acid. So like, in other words, like my question is why, why choose something that's already so high in acid to do your fermentation on? I don't know. I saw them at Fairway, and for some reason, I just felt like doing it. I don't know. I've been fermenting or fermenting out a lot of different fruits to make into vinegars. I've got rhubarb, blueberry, cranberry, uh, strawberry. I've got some mead vinegar. I don't know. It's just it's fun to see what they all turn out to be so i figured why not try kiwi now are you doping the kiwi with sugar to get the alcohol level up so that you get a higher uh higher vinegar percentage yes i am yeah so like what percentage sugar are you taking it up to roughly i i'm really just kind of eyeing it out um i should probably start taking some measurements and getting things to be a little bit more consistent but i'd probably say it looks like a quarter of the weight of the of the kiwis that I put oh, in that's, there. That's very techie there, John. I know, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know, like a quarter, like something like a quarter. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, we didn't get a chance because it happened uh, it, too recently. You want to discuss your fish feast, your tinned fish <coughs> feast? Oh, yeah, that was really excellent. Um, I had one of my friends, Brian, over. He works uh, for Jose Andres, and he came over and... Um, we had some really nice wines and then these awesome tinned fish. Uh, La Brujula is the brand. They're from Galicia, Spain. And Wait, say I that got... again because that was, that was unintelligible. You got to say that slowly. La Brujula, I think is how it's pronounced. B-R-U-J-U-L-A. Um, and I got every type of, and I've been collecting these for a couple months now, and I finally got every type of tinned seafood product that is available in the U.S. So it was razor clams, cockles, uh, large clams, a whole bunch of different types of sardines, scallops and sauce, octopus and paprika sauce, uh, sea urchin. That's the crazy one right there. Tinned sea urchin roe. It was very good. What do you think about that? Conceptually, Nastasia, what do you think? Mm, 
doesn't sound that great. <laughs> Nastasi also remember, not a fan of razor clams. Is the only person I know who does not like razor clams. And it's, it's you actually don't like it. It's not that you're worried about sand. It's just you don't like it, right? But it's not the sand. No, it's not the sand. Is it that they're too sweet and you don't like sweet clams? No, I just don't like shellfish in general. I just really don't like shellfish. What about like steamed mussels with, oh, you don't like French fries. I forgot. Oh, my God. <sighs> I can do without. It's not like, that's the thing. I can eat it all. I just, I would rather not order it. Do you know what you like? I'm averse. Like scallops, though. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. All scallops? Yeah. I ate so many of them as a kid. Like, we would boil them and then I'd just eat them. Well, boil them. First of all, I mean, when was the last time you gave a scallop a chance? Like, a real Uh, chance? A lot, because that's the dish that most restaurants will will, like, send out from the chef. And you're like, oh, and then I just eat it. Yeah. So I I feel like a lot. I feel like. Like, I mean, I feel like to really be like the, you need to do the East Coast scallop thing. But I mean, if you've done it now, if it's been ruined for you, it's ruined for you. There's nothing I can do about it. No, I've had amazing scallops, like the ones that Pasternak does at S. Like, are you going to do his, you're going to imitate his voice for me? If you're going to, I need to scratch my balls while doing it. (laughs) But, but, um, yeah, I mean, I understand what a good scallop tastes like. I understand all about it but i just don't like it i just feel bad that it got ruined for you by your your childhood no no no. i just i ate them a lot as like when they were like special you know so which um, was it they were special or you ate them a lot or both well like they were the special occasion food like mother's day and boiled so your dad cooked them for your mother on mother's (laughs) day and he boiled them is this what I'm getting? Yeah, something like that. Were they at least in some sort of a soup? Was it a tomato situation? No. What? What? But why would you boil? I don't know. I'm trying to understand. Like, I'm in a kitchen. I have scallops. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to throw them in boiling water. And I just, I, I just, I just See, this like, is not what comes we, to my head. Yeah, I understand. It might, you know, <laughs> we were, yeah, we were a shake and bake household. I mean, I could see scallops in a bag, shake and bake, and then like very quickly, like, like, like roasted. Like that I can see. If you're a shake and bake, shake and bake scallops, I could design my whole life around a shake and bake scallop. But like, I spent a lot of money on this for special occasion. I'm going to throw it in boiling water. I mean, I don't know. John, what do you think, man? What do you think, Matthew? I mean, I wouldn't boil a scallop, but like if that's how Nastasia and her family enjoyed them as when she was growing up, like, well, sure. I don't know. I mean, I have you tried a boiled scallop? Like, do you have the right to crap all over it the way you are? <laughs> I've had scallop in <laughs> soups. Okay. Right? But if you're going to put a scallop into a soup situation, right, that's the kind of shit stuff, excuse me, that's the kind of stuff where you, you make like a fume or whatever, or, you know, you make your shellfish stock, and then you reserve all of the fish parts, and then you throw the scallops in at the end. You basically toss them in at the end and let the carryover cook them as you take them to the table. Every time I've ever done like a fish stew or a fish thing and it involves scallops, the scallops, I, I, I steam cook all of the shellfish over like with white wine and take the steaming liquids, add those to the pot to make the base soup, Use the bones from the fish 
to make a fume, combine those two things, make the stock, and then fold the actual seafood products, especially something like scallops in, at the end. That's the way for decades and decades and decades that I have done any fish stew or any fish, like liquid fish product that wasn't meant to be cooked forever. Like a, like a, I don't really care what I'm doing. I mean, that's not how I do, uh, what's it called, clam chowder because they're supposed to be little rubbery garbages there. That's the whole concept is rubbery garbages. So you hack them up and you do it. You know what I mean? But I Your way is very not shake and bake. No, but I'm saying like I could just see like I could see some sort of a shake and bake situation having like am I the only person here who has actually made shake and bake in the 70s? Yes, I'm co- obviously I'm the only one who's done it in the 70s because yeah. I'm the only one that was alive during the 70s. But I remember actually doing it. It was a real thing that we, we did back in the day. That, that is real. That happened. That is not like just like a, a myth, the shake and bake. Um, did you actually do shake and bake at your house, Nastasia, or are you just saying oh, that? Oh, all the time, yeah. So they had it in the 80s as well? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's still on supermarket shelves today, yeah. Really? You can still go buy Shake and Bake? Yes. When you were growing up, did they have that commercial? Shake and Bake and I help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I help! The kid did not. Well, the kid, it was a help, I guess. It was a help. Uh, Did they have the Hamburger Helper commercials when you were a kid? Mm Mm-hmm. Did they have the rice aroni commercials? Oh, yes. So we, we, we basically, even though we're like, you know, more than 10 years apart, we basically had the same kind of commercial-based childhood. That's why Dave, Dave and I need to enter a game show together. I, I really think that that would pay for our next product. <laughs> the game show together? Well, then we have like, money. We have code words that we say with each other that no one else would, no one else would get. Right. That, it's like, got to be like the newlywed game, but for colleagues. Yeah. For yeah. like business partners. Yeah. yeah, we, yeah. we would kill. We would kill. Yeah, yeah we, 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 we would wipe them out. We would wipe them out. It's true. Um, but I, I still now can't get all of these dang commercials out of my head that I just brought up. Did they have the, um, you know, you can't have cookies for breakfast, but you can't have cookie crisp commercial when you were a kid? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We, we weren't allowed cookie crisp, though, because that was of pushing not. it. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, it's garbage. And it's, yeah. all, it's all sugar. So. Yeah. No, Booker's here, by the way. Booker's not. Hey, Booker, making, when, making where's my on. cake? He can't. He can't hear you because I got the headphones on. Nastasi wants to know when she, when you're going to bring her cake up. Now that we've entered phase he one, you can get on Metro of, North. End of um, month. Um, I'll think of a time sometime at the towards the end of this month. No, there you go. Towards the end of this month. So so Booker the has 30th. made Nastasia's red, white, and blue sprinkle cake. And it's made. It's, it, the cake is made, it's in the freezer, oh, okay. it needs to be thawed and iced. To ask Nastasia why did she move out of New York City, it's the best place in the world. Okay, so this is not yeah, a I forum heard. for <laughs> this kind of discussion, Booker, but I appreciate it. I, like, Booker's the only person who's like, still 100% New York all the time. He's still like, yeah, New York, hell yeah, New York. What, what about I mean? when, in like three weeks when it's going to be 100 degrees with 100% humidity? He doesn't with care. With a mask. Yeah, the mask already so Booker, awesome. Booker spends 23 and a half out of every 24-hour period in his room, which has an air conditioner. So yeah. it's like... But he's going to start riding the subway again, I thought. Not anymore. I started taking the subway again. There, there. Yeah, so he started taking the subway now. So now he's going to... Well, we'll see. Booker has endured many a New York summer on subway platforms. So And he, for whatever Not reason... with a mask. He... Yes, that's true. For whatever reason, Booker prefers 
like cloudless days. One tiny wispy cloud at thirty-two thousand feet. When, there, when it's a cloudless day for for nuclear bombs. Oh no! Did it, we talk about that on the air? Have we talked about that on the air? Probably. Yes. Uh, you know, you know, there was a whole city. Well, I'm not going to get into. I'm not going to get no. into. Not going to get into nuclear warfare and cloud cover uh, right now. We can do yeah, that. Yeah, that'll just take us straight to the end of the show. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <it> was, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just keep going on. Chat, on... chat starts to revolt after about 25 minutes of non-cooking related stuff. Also, right. I, they said, don't cook tonight, call Chicken Delight or something. What, Ooh, is delight. that another one? Chicken Delight. Let's see, did I get Chicken Delight? Chicken Delight. I'll have to Google that one. Google that one later. I mean, like, I can still picture that creepy hand, though, from Hamburger Helper. And, like, yes. the, and like the super, like, the, it was like, uh, I don't even want to get into it. I don't even want to get into the, the gender politics of the Hamburger Helper helping her help her Hamburger Helper make a great meal. It's just, like, it's garbage. Anyway, but uh, nothing against the product. I don't even remember what it tastes like. It's fundamentally a, a, a hamburger macaroni casserole product. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Oh, here's a question for you. What happened... To the sloppy Joe. Does anyone still make the sloppy Joe? No, and, but they're good. Who, who is there's this a, Joe? There's and, a restaurant in New York City that does. Well, it's like a fast casual kind of thing, but Schnippers got the big red logo. They sell the sloppy Joe. Also, Brooks's vegan sloppy Joe. Oh my delicious. god, it's so good. Yeah, delicious. Now, now listen, listen, listen. Where are you with knife and fork on sloppy Joe? Are you a pickup drip? 8,000 napkins, and then fork up the stuff that falls on your plate. The latter. you got to put the sloppy in Sloppy Joe. Are you kidding me? So you don't pull a, a de Blasio. You don't fork your knife and fork your Sloppy Joe. What, well, open-faced turkey sandwich, you're allowed to eat with a knife and fork because it's not a sandwich. It's a lie, right? <laughs> sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so what about you, John? You, you pick up your Sloppy Joe and have it go everywhere? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I haven't had a sloppy joe in, in a little while. The last one I probably had was Brooks's, but yeah, I think so. And yeah, Brooks's, have, you just kind of pick it up and eat it. Yeah. Have I ever told you my uh, my multi zillion dollar uh, food idea? Maybe. So that feels uh, like a good one to share. You probably yeah. should have told Nastasia that one at some point. That we're never yeah. going to do it. We're Maybe not do on the air. But we're never going right. to do anything. No, we're no, gonna, no, he likes no, we're never going to do anything. So here, here's where it is. Here's why we don't have any money. Here's where it is. Here's this. So, Nostas, I think it was Stas, you were already working. Remember when the stoners came and they wanted to make burrito tape? Oh, yeah. So these, they, these stoners, self, uh, self-styled stoners, wanted to make a, uh, an edible tape so that they could tape their burritos shut so that when they ordered their burritos, when they were stoned <laughs> out of their mind, they, uh, you know, they wouldn't drip the, the product everywhere. You remember this, Nastasia, right? And I said to them, well, I'm not going to make you a tape, but I did invent my thing, which is the semi-changa. Have I discussed the semi-changa? Yes, you have. On the air? Well, I will say it again because no one has <laughs> served me one yet. So what it is is, is it's half burrito or maybe even two-thirds burrito and one-third to one-half chimichanga. So you have the hard base to hold the burrito with and then you pick it up and you eat the soft burrito and then you finish the hard chimichanga section much like an ice cream cone. That is all kinds of winning. 
I would just leave I, it at that. I think the edible burrito tape is the bajillion dollar idea. Those well, right. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pass any judgment on you uh, for saying that, but like, what are you going to make this edible tape out of? We, they, we were working with agar scripts. I mean, why do I want edible tape on my burrito? I'll tell you what I do hate. I do hate chewing on paper. When you buy like a sandwich that's goopy or goopy burrito and you peel back the paper and it gets all goop over the paper yeah. and you can't see the paper line anymore and you start chewing on the paper, unpleasant. Yes. Unpleasant. What do you think about eating the rice paper on a white rabbit candy? Like it. Yeah, I do too. Do you know white rabbit in the 80s was slightly softer, different. They changed the recipe at some time in like the either in the – Sometime in the 90s. I think in the, all through the 80s it was the same. But I love a white rabbit candy. You guys like uh, Matt and John, you white rabbit candy people? Never yeah, had it. Good. Well, you've never had a white rabbit candy? No, man. What the hell? Send me one. I mean, they're not the same <laughs> anymore, but I mean, they're easy enough to get. Remember when, remember in the, what was it, early 2000s when those ginger candies all of a sudden became the rage? No. The super no. hot ginger candies. God, I gotta get oh, you guys yeah. on the candy train. I love those things. That's not really Nastasia's jam, though, right? Mm. All right. A uh, quick note on bread making before, uh, in the wake of the Adam Leonti thing, I've been experimenting a lot with bread. I've got people uh, Instagramming me stuff and Twittering me stuff on bread and milling. Uh, maybe we'll just do another show. I've been working a lot with um, with milling and uh, different sifting technologies, so I have a lot to say. I've been plowing through uh, a bunch of the wheat that I've uh, bought. I've been experimenting mainly with um, uh, hard red uh, winter. I don't have any hard red spring yet. And with That's uh, the best, soft the hard, hard red winter. That's what we made our whole grain pasta out of. Didn't you, use some, you didn't use some durum? Hard, I'd have to look at the exact. Yeah, probably some sort of durum. I want to try some hard red spring, but it's just not available. And I want to try some hard white. So, I mean, I, 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 could, I will I not think, because I have questions to get to, but, like, I could talk about, like, what I have learned over the past month in terms of flower tastes. And like, here's, here's how this is going to work. So, so, Nastasia, I don't want you to worry. Here's what's going to happen. Great. Here's what's going to happen. I am going to probably do this for three or four months. I'm going to go oh. through all of the wheat I have, plus I'm going to buy some hard white wheat and some red spring when I when it's available again. I'm gonna be testing a bunch of different stuff because I honestly like I love the the product that I'm making and I think it's different. But I also like roller milled I also like bread made from roller milled white flour, right? So I don't dislike bread made from roller milled white flour and I don't eat foods based on whether or not I think they're healthy. I eat them based on whether I think they're delicious. I do want to tell you, if you have not milled your own flour or had very freshly milled flour or somebody else's freshly milled flour bread, it is way different and way better and way more interesting than any other whole wheat product that, than um, I've ever had. And I'm having, having fun working. But it's kind of like, you know, when I roast coffee, I'll roast coffee for like a year, then I'll take a pause for a year or two, then I'll do it for a year or two. I feel the same thing's going to happen to me with milling my own flour. So you don't need to worry about me doing it all the time because Nastasia believes that anything that I get into, even slightly, that that's going to be my new, my new thing, that I'm going to become a Civil War reenactor. Well, what else do you think I was going to do? Uh, leather man. Well, that's going to happen. <laughs> like, if, if my it's family, ever, if my oh, family uh, ever leaves me, my, my whole Broadway. life has been centered Broadway. around Broadway. Yeah, well, 
Wait, know. what about Broadway? What was Dave oh going to do? Oh my god, Dave belt out a show. Too. I will not. I will oh, not. oh, oh, yeah, yeah, oh my yeah, god. You yeah, guys yeah. are so you. You've heard me do it on the air a million times. Nobody knows Dave Arnold. <laughs> you haven't <laughs> heard him belt out a, a freaking show tune. Oh man, we're just we're just letting it fly today. I'm gonna so, spend hours so, bleeping this show. So Booker Booker was saying he wanted to sell. Uh, Booker was saying he wanted to sell his brother. Like a, like I don't know where, where this came up, but he was a very anti his brother. And, uh, uh, you know, as he, and so I started singing Boy for Sale from Oliver, and then Booker did not enjoy that very much. But, you know, of course, <laughs> I, of course I know Oliver by heart. I mean, who doesn't know Oliver by heart? You I mean, also know Les Mis. You do Fiddler on the Roof. I, I used to, I used to literally Mary. know Fiddler on the Roof uh, by heart because in sixth grade I was Tevya. And, I, and back then, <laughs> when I had nothing else on my mind, I memorized the entire play in a night. you also do the dance moves. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, how hard is deedle diddle deedle diddle deedle diddle dum You go around the room all day long. I bitty bitty bum. Come on, man. I mean, this is something that stays with you forever. <laughs> You never, you never lose. By the way, I think he lived very close to where I live Also, now. Dave, you and I were saying we were going to start a band last week, and I was like, I can't sing. And you were like, that's okay. That's yeah, don't, don't worry about it. It's not important. <laughs> yeah. It's not important. Yeah. 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 Why were we going to do that? Uh, I don't know. Just something other than what we were doing, which doesn't appear to be working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Hey, yeah, by the way, we people. got any uh, cooking questions? By the way, hey, we've been talking about bread baking, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hamburger helper. I don't want to go back. I don't want to. I don't want to go back to bread baking. He just asked you to. I just heard him do it. I just heard him do it. Oh, but I have to say though, not about bread in particular, but I am loving this pseudo Detroit pizza I've been working on. Loving it. Loving the pseudo Detroit pizza. I wouldn't mind going back to Detroit, not just for the pizza though. I do miss their hot dogs. They have such good, or as they call them, conies. Inexplicably, they call them conies. They're very good. Uh, but you didn't, you didn't care about it, right? You just got the chili. You didn't even get the dog. Did you even try one of those dogs? Yeah, you broke me off a piece. Hmm. Speaking of, are you eating one right now? Old stamps. How, how do stamps make the noise of thumbtacks? They're in, like, a thing. No. Uh See, you're doing to us what you hate for people to do to you. This is why you don't go to movie I'm, theaters because you don't want like the popcorn yeah, bag. That's true. I didn't know if you could hear it. Okay. 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 From Thomas Zernigan via email. I recently tried to make orja. I started by blending my hot water and almonds. Then I poured this mix directly into the rotor, presumably the rotor of the Spinzol, our, our centrifuge, and spun it for 20 minutes or so. There was no clarification or separation. Yeah, that's not the way, that's not the, way the Orgeas uh, work for the rotor, for the Spinzol. Uh, in general, I, you know, I'm usually making such a large quantity of those things that I go through a nut bag and then a press is actually how I do those things in, in real life. But when I do do... Uh, nut milks in the Spinzol. I do it around the quantity of nuts. So I always have the quantity of nuts in the recipe be roughly 400. What kind of nuts? These nuts. That, is that what you're looking for? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. But if you're, um, if you're, uh, oh man, now I have that whole song going through my head. Um, uh, so if you, if you do that, the idea is, is that all of the liquid that you blend in will get filtered through the nuts, through these nuts, 
as they go through, um, as they're in the rotor, and you'll get, because the first, like, the first, like, couple hundred milliliters you get off are going to look almost clear in a continuous uh, situation, but you're not going to get a decent separation out of those hard pureed uh, nuts like that. Uh, even in a big centrifuge, you know, you will get it when you're running it at 4,000 Gs for like 20 minutes. But with this one, it's really more about uh, trying to fill the rotor with these nuts solids uh, and then uh, and then getting the, the stuff out. But in general, like nut bags, uh, nut milk bags, and uh, they're, are, are, I think, the way to go. But there endeth the, there endeth the suggestive nut bag talk. Um, Aaron Holbach from Instagram. Okay, now, Nastasia's gonna hate this one. You're gonna hate this one, Nastasia. Which is because it's like highly technical and like all tweaked out. You hate it. Anyway. Uh, hey, Dave, I'm building a proofing box, so we're back on bread. Are you happy about that, Nastasia? For those of you that don't know, uh, sometimes if people can't control uh, the environment in their kitchen, the humidity or the temperature, they build a proofing box Proofing box is usually a higher temperature than you would have in your normal house or kitchen, but it's consistent. So you can kind of guarantee the proofing rates and you need a relatively high humidity and a relatively high temperature, but also a relatively large volume because you're going to be putting a bunch of bread into it. I am building a proofing box by retrofitting a Coleman cooler with an immersion circulator and closet shelving. I intend on uh, mapping the bool, i.e. the bread bool, uh, the bread bool's height through, uh, through its proofing by using a laser ping range finder with one millimeter resolution. How do you like that, Stas? Okay, okay. Yeah. I was wondering <laughs> if the appropriate time to bake is when the bull's maximum height has uh, plateaued. I'm just getting into the modernist bread and have yet to find a conclusive answer to this question. I would say no. That's probably too late. Uh, thank you, Aaron Holbeck. And then as a follow-up, follow-up, I found that measuring the height proportional to volume is an unreliable gauge of fermentation. In fact... At either maximum, the dough would be over-fermented. I use the finger dent technique and I'm now exploring ways to uh, quantify this qualitative test. For those of you that don't know, the finger dent technique when you're proofing bread is if you push on the bread as it's proofing, so you've, you've done the shape. And by the way, by far and away, the, the thing that when you're beginning in bread that you're, that you're gonna probably F up is the shaping part of it. So much of the structure of the final bread is because think about this, you do what's called bulk fermentation, it ferments, and then often you kind of, you punch it down or you do whatever you're gonna do after bulk fermentation. Then you divide it into whatever its final uh, loaves and or buns are, and then you do the shaping. And so much of the texture and structure of the bread are done in that shaping thing. And I think that's where a lot of people uh, mess up. Anyway, um, so, I use, so the finger dent technique, after you've done your final shaping and you're, and you're proofing it, that's my large dog being happy that uh, Jen just got home from work. So uh, when you push in, if you push and the, you tap, you push on it a little bit. And when if it pops right back at you, like if it's very elastic, it means it hasn't inflated enough to reach anywhere near the edge of the gluten's kind of extent. If you push it in and your finger goes into it and it starts collapsing, well, you waited too long because at that point, any kind of hit's gonna make it deflate. What you want is for it to still be going up when you put it into the oven. The oven hits it, the temperature goes up, boom, you get your oven spring, but it doesn't collapse, and then boom, you get your, your perfect bread. So that's the dent test. Anyway, uh, so here's Nastasi's gonna hate this even more. Uh, 
I intend to use a series of linear servos to emulate a finger impression while mapping the rebound volume through a 3D depth sensor. If I'm, un, if I'm able to automate calling the proof, it may be interesting to design a consumer model with more economical components. My inspiration for this project is no kitchen get quotes, no kitchen gadget can simplify calling proof for you, which is a quote from Modernist Bread 3-220. With that said, I fear that I'm innovating for innovation's sake. How would you proceed? FYI, my summer uh, research plans were foiled by the pandemic, so I've turned to experiment at home. Thank you, Aaron Hoback. So I would definitely say that this is something that you should do Aaron, for your own edification, I don't know anyone's going to buy a proof tester. What do you guys think? Even with the sudden popularity of bread baking at home, I think this is a stretch. There's also, I'm going to put it to you this way, Aaron. I think this is kind of fascinating. I'd love to know, like, like, there's a huge uh, long history in industrial um, cooking of testing things that are kind of untestable and coming up with standards. And then those standards become kind of the standard. So in the pea industry, there's a thing called the tenderometer and they, they, they have a very specific shaped instrument that crushes a very specific amount of peas and measures the, the very specific weight that it takes to crush that. And that's turned into a tenderometer reading for peas. And a lot of things have these very strange uh, kind of standards uh, that are built up. So who knows? Maybe you'll come up with the maybe you'll come up with the um, with the proof standard. But I will also say I watched uh, recently a video where someone did the same recipe at four different proofs under just right or under a little bit under just right and like a lot over to show the difference between them and the difference in uh, whether they proofed it correctly or incorrectly is not as dramatic as you might think but it's instructive to go look at their videos to see what the effect of proof is on bread okay uh brian yurko writes in hey hope you're well i had a question about vacuum pumps uh any suggestions on what nastasia's like ah jay's vacuum pumps (laughs) and i got Uh, Any suggestions on what to do to get a seized pump going again? And just because I know Dave likes the details, it's a Bush R5RB0021C um, with an uh, electric motor uh, all inside of an Ultrasource Ultravac 250. Uh, Brian, so most likely what has happened, luckily for you, the Bush pumps are, well, unluckily for you, Bush pumps are fantastically expensive. Luckily for you, they're also completely rebuildable. The odds that there's something wrong with the electric motor are probably zero. Those motors are a beast. Almost certainly what has happened, and by the way, you can go online uh, and if you look up the R-series Bush pumps, there's a complete rebuild guide online that's available for them. Um, Let me see if I can get you the title for it. Uh, The rebuild guide is titled Maintenance and Repair uh, uh, Manual, R5 series. And the thing's all there. And complete down to like how to get the taper pins out without damaging them. It's a very good document. Undoubtedly, what has happened is this. Inside of an oil-based vacuum pump, there is a spinning wheel, uh, like an eccentric spinning wheel. On that spinning wheel is a vein that it pops up and it's spring-based. And that vein, I think they're carbon, I'm not sure. That vein, forget exactly what they're made out of. That vein pushes up against the outside of, uh, of the pump and sweeps through the oil and acts like a highlight scoop, going back to the 70s, acts like a highlight scoop and scoops the air out from the low pressure area through the oil and out the high pressure area. 
And if you shatter one of those veins, it'll seize the pump right up. Most likely you have a thrown or shattered or stuck vein. So you need to drain the pump, you know, get rid of the oil, that, that oil is ruined, clean all that stuff out and either repair or fix the veins, which is a very small price to pay compared to the price of that Bush vacuum pump. Was that a blessedly short enough answer for you, Anastasia? Yes. All right. Uh, Rachel Meyer wrote, wrote in, and I don't have an answer for this one, but more of a throwing it out there. Maybe, uh, maybe we have in the listening uh, audience a pectin expert, maybe one of the people from CP Kelco, because I don't know that I still have our contacts at CP Kelco. Piper... Christensen, uh, who used to work with us, his family is part of CP Calco, but he doesn't talk to us anymore. Now we don't, we still talk to him. He's, he doesn't talk to us anymore, right? Right, right, Saz? Yep. But anyway, he's got the Calco contacts. This episode is brought to you by Ben to Table, a monthly food subscription service for avid home cooks focused on delicious and sustainable pantry items. So I got my France box, and one of the things in it was the lavender blackberry rhubarb jam from V Smiley. So what I recommend you do with this, spread it on toast. And for toast, if you got the Bend to Table uh, Essentials box, in that box, you may find a main grains red fife wheat flour, and you can make a delicious, very full-flavored whole wheat bread from the, from the main grains red fife. I will say this, if you're not used to baking with whole grains, realize that you're gonna need to have a, uh, a much higher hydration ratio. It's gonna take more water than normal. I would let it ferment for a relatively long time so that everything gets absorbed, and it's gonna feel a little bit different in your hand. If you want great flavor, but want a more traditional kind of fluffy loaf and you're not used to baking with whole grains, it's okay to mix that with uh, 50-50 that flour and either a bread flour or even an AP flour. And then you can do what's closer to a, a, a Jim Leahy, uh, no need uh, a bread kind of a recipe. And then when we had stuff left over, we toasted it and guess what we spread on it? The V Smiley. Lavender blackberry rhubarb jam from the Bend a Table box. So that's what I would do. Go to bendatable.com to start your monthly subscription. Use the discount code HRN to get $20 off a new subscription, and Bend a Table will donate $10 to support cooking issues and all of HRN, which stands for Heritage Radio Networks, programming. Um, it's Rachel Meyer from Shoots and Roots. And by the way, Shoots and Roots is a uh, bitters business that was formed by. Uh, three uh, PhD botanist uh, women. I, I think the only one of them I really know is Rachel, but it's kind of a cool concept company. They make interesting bitters with, uh, you know, very kind of non-standard botanical flavors like pine forest and whatnot. It's Rachel Meyer from Shoots and Roots. I accidentally made a jello shot by mixing 350 milliliters of Everclear with a whole barbecued orange through muddling. And the jello that it produced is delicious. Would you be willing to work with me on making this a thing? The chemistry, uh, average pectin per orange and presentation, et cetera, et cetera, uh, too good to pass up on this grilling season. So what has happened, pectin, which is the setting uh, uh, thing that's in oranges, is um, not soluble in highly alcoholic uh, mediums. So you've gotten this pectin, you've muddled it, and then because of the alcohol, for some reason you've got the set just right such that it sets up in the um in the glass i don't know how to reproduce that because pectin is as they say in french fiddly so like 
it's real fiddly. So like I, I would say I'm going to pass this off. Hopefully someone else in the listening crew has a way to kind of make this more uh, predictable. Uh, you know, some way to measure it or some way to bulletproof uh, the recipe such that it always works. But, um, you know, pectin destabilization in alcohol is something that, you know, obviously I've known about for many years and I've used in, for instance, in, in the book Liquid Intelligence, I use for doing auto-hustinos, but I've never tried to actually create a gel with it on a time-after-time basis. But hopefully someone in the audience uh, knows something about it. Um, all right. Uh, if we actually we had somebody send in a voice memo. I you do you want to you want to try sure. and answer this question? Yeah. I, when I play this, there's a chance that you're going to hear it at some sort of weird speed. Just let's see if we can roll with it. <laughs> What's up, Dave, Nastasia, Matt, and any other road crew? This is Paul from Seattle, longtime listener. I've noticed the rage barometer has gone down on the show lately, so I'm calling in with some questions about things you hate, uh, mainly cold brew coffee. I recently bought a Spinzol. Right now, cold brew is my only substitute for not having AC, as the apartment that I'm quarantined in is slowly warming up this summer. And I'm also looking to make some low-quality individuals versions of some of the coffee drinks from Liquid Intelligence. I know that you and Paul Adams have argued a lot about cold brew. I remember from a back episode you said your current cold brew process is slightly different from what's in the Spinzol recipe book. I was just wondering what your current cold brew process is right now. Also, in case you and Nastasia are running out of things to fight about, bonus question, uh, how do you partially clarify the preserved lemon juice for the Corsair? Do you undercut the enzyme amounts or do you run it for less time or what? Thanks everyone. Be safe. Well, Paulie increased my rage meter just by by having that. Like Nastasia couldn't even let me listen to the question. I that couldn't you were even saying, hear right? it. I didn't even oh. hear it. I thought oh, it was, you couldn't it was hear it? completely silent. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, weird. Oh, that okay. makes more sense. Yeah. So Nastasia's like talking to me in the middle of the question. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, like Nastasia, what the hell? I'm trying to listen to the guy for, talk. Yeah. Oh, that's that's so, weird. so weird that you could. Okay. Whatever. Did you hear it, John? Okay. <laughs> so I thought well, this, and did you, well you don't get to hear like, that one, Nastasia. Take that. Say, well, you wouldn't have liked it anyway. But I was like, I was like, I was like, what the hell is she doing? The guy's like, hey, you don't have enough rage anymore. And like, literally in the middle of him saying, I don't have enough rage anymore, Nastasia is sitting there, like, just like talking over him, like he's not oh talking. My gosh, and I'm like, what the hell? His plan even, works perfectly. He didn't even, know exactly what would happen, but he did establish rage. Even. For Nastasia, that was hardcore. I mean, I've got, I, so you didn't sorry. know you I did it. No. You didn't know you did it, which makes it a little bit different. But I was like, whoa, dude. Whoa. Um, so uh, on cold brew, uh, look, here's the, here's the, here's the, what I do now. I forget what I did in the, in the, in the recipe manual, but really with the cold brew, it's all about forcing the liquid through the product under pressure. Right. So like if I was going to build my own cold brew machine, what I would do is uh, take a tube, a high pressure tube and put the water in at the top and force it at a high pressure, uh, almost like espresso uh, style through the through the the puck and then over and over and over again. And that's kind of what you're doing when you're doing cold brew in the Spinzol is you're putting the cold brew in it's going in the tubes it's getting fed into the into the spinzol uh, rotor getting forced out to down to the bottom being held there under pressure and then getting forced up by the weight of the new liquid coming in and it's cycling out uh cold brew uh and so 
you know, if I was ever going to build a cold brew machine, it would be built on uh, kind of a, a pressure a pressure situation. Um, but yeah, I don't like cold brew. I just don't like it. It's not that I don't want you to like it. It's just I don't I don't like it. Do you like it, John? Mm-hmm. What was the other part of the question? What was the other part uh, of the question, man? I forget what the other part of the question. clarification. Oh, not limoncello. Yeah, uh, preserved lemons. So uh, the trick oh, yeah, with sorry. the preserved lemons, yep. uh, run it, run your stuff continuously, and don't use. First of all, there's so much. We're blending the liquid and the pith and everything. So just if you use just the normal amount of SPL, it's not enough to fully clarify it because there's just so much pectin and garbage in it that it's not going to clarify anyway. So just don't let it fully clarify. So you're going to run it continuous and you're going to do it. Don't use, um, don't use wine finding agents. Just use SPL and let it stay cloudy uh, because you're, you're, you don't have a lot of um, – in the Corsair, which is uh, preserved lemon – uh, Moroccan preserved lemon, um, simple syrup, lime juice, uh, tequila, and hot stuff of your choice. Um, you, you don't have that much lime juice in there, and so you really want there to still be some body in that lemon juice to give it a nice kind of uh, shaking texture. Good enough answer? No, did I answer that? All right. Speaking of lemons, speaking of lemons, I'll get back to Math- Matthias, uh, Matthias's, uh, uh question. Uh, Nastasia, your mom wrote in uh, answers for the for the lemon person. You want to you want to tell them? I don't have it. So I have to read your answers from <laughs> yeah, your mom. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to. Your mom, the... your mom gave you answers, and said I that you can attribute them to your dad, and then sent them to you, and then yes. you a- emailed them to me, and yet I have to read them. I don't have them in front of me. I'd have to dig it. And it was a text, so I'd have to look. I just read. All right, it. don't water the tree. Uh, wait, don't water the tree. Only the bottom of the trunk. Remove all the leaves from the bottom of the trunk, so it will be like a topiary. A fruit is on top, like a basket filled with fruit. Shake the tree to get rid of bugs. Really? Shake a tree to get rid? Of, how big is this tree? Pick lemons. My mom is very strong. It's not the tree. I believe that. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not the tree. She's like an <laughs> she's like an almond harvesting machine. <laughs> We are like, you ever seen those almond harvesting machines? They're like, it's like a skid steer and you drive it up to the tree and this arm comes out and it's like, I told you to drop the almonds! <laughs> and the almonds hit the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 now that's how I'm going to picture your the mom. The almonds hit the ground. Yeah. The almonds hit the ground. Uh, <laughs> and I think some of the almond shakers also have like giant nets that they can put out. Anyway, um, shake the tree to get rid of bugs, but only if you're... Only if you're only like if you're Lopez first strength. generation Russian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you're, if you're if you're Nastasia's mom's strength, you can shake the tree to get rid of bugs. She's like, I chewed ice when I birthed you, and I was like, all right. Uh. Yeah, yeah. First of all, she's not even. It's not like she's shaking them out. She's just shaking the tree so hard that the bugs are like, to hell with this. To hell with this. <laughs> yeah. Four. Pick the lemons in the cool of the morning. I feel like this is like a advice that could be used. It sounds like a 60s song, does it not? Pick the lemons <laughs> yeah. in the cool of the morning. Yeah. Uh, we also think that she's trolling us on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is. Nastasia's mom, right, has like a garden and she lives in uh, – they're still in Covina? Yeah. Yeah. So in Covina, which, you know, has like sunlight and whatnot, like, and they have a garden, they're growing stuff. So she's like, everyone should get out and garden. You're like, hey, thanks, Nastasia's mom. So what am I going to – my bedroom faces a brick wall in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like my windowsill gets like, you know, half hour of sunlight a day. 
and it's not even direct. You know what I mean? I'm on the fourth floor of a 20-story building. Anyway, um, you know, the, the, the shade I get is from, like, you know, the trucks outside. You know, the very, anyway. Um, okay. Pick the lemons in the cool of the morning. Using clippers to cut a small amount of stem with the lemon. That now you're too lazy to do that stuff. You're a oh, you're, yeah. you're a ripper. Pull, you're yeah. yeah yeah oh twist well at least you're nice twist and pull. Speaking yeah. of oh, which, we have we... to try the lemon. I got it. So how is it? You're gonna send I me some. I don't want to know. For you. We, b- 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 no no I'm waiting for you to try it. All right and remove any yellow or discolored leaves daily. Speaking of picking, let me get to let me get to uh, let me get to this uh, real quick. Who who wrote it in? Someone wrote it in. Something about ah. Andy Shipman wrote in, hey, Dave, what would you do with 20 pounds of sour cherries? For the first year I harvested, I made jam. The second year I made wine. Uh, uh, it had a low ABV and too acidic to drink straight up. Yeah, that makes sense. I used it as a mixer mixer for a year. Last year, I soaked them in brandy for a couple of months and had great cherry brandy for late summer cocktails. Going to pick next weekend. Have any thoughts? I don't have a Spinzol. Well, first thing you should do, uh, Shipman, is go buy yourself a Spinzol. I mean, they're cheap now. I mean, come on, please. Uh, second is... Uh, we should go pick uh, cherries. Uh, like I'm going to go up with my, um, I'm going to go up with my sister and my brother-in-law, who are both positive when they have the cherries at Fishkill Farms, because this would be the first year ever that I can pick cherries and not die. You want to do it? You told me I couldn't. Well, you can. You just have to stay six feet away from me. Why? I don't care if I get it. All right. And you're not going to visit anyone who's at risk. All right. Fine. Whatever, man. Whatever. But anyway, we should totally do it. Here's some things you should do. You should go look at Pie Marches On and follow any of uh, Monroe's recipes on cherry pie. How do you not make cherry pie in all of these things? You've talked about cherries and not make cherry pie. That's crazy. John, is that crazy? Yeah, crazy. Also, when you're making brandied cherries, may I suggest that this makes an excellent gift for people. Here's something I've always wanted to test and I've never done. Get yourself some pectin methylesterase, which is the pectin strengthening enzyme. Add a little bit of calcium chloride and a little bit of uh, pectin methylesterase. Do a pre-soak in that to try to strengthen the pectin in the cherries so that they don't get soft, right? Now, I'm I'm not – which is, I believe, how they actually also do it for the the fakey maraschino cherry ones. Uh, You don't want that much, but it would be nice to keep them firmer than they are when they're brandied normally. And then you want to get the the sugar level up slowly over time in your cherries so that they don't shrink. Look up any one of the like the the great guides on this because you don't want them to shrink. And then this makes the perfect gift for anyone who likes cocktails. If you make so Toby Cicchini, uh, you know, uh, you know, one of the uh, contenders and and absolute gives him this as the as the creator of, of the Cosmo. Uh, and, you know, from Long Island Bar, writer for the New York Times, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Toby uh, has a sour cherry tree, and he takes and makes them all into uh, brandy cherry cherries, which he then gives out as gifts. And what's going to happen is is that over time, every year, people will be like, oh, I can't wait. Shipman's going to give me his, his brandy cherries again this year. I can't wait. And then one year, someone's going to tick you off. You're going to have a sign of the cross against somebody, right, Stas? And then, and then that person's not going to get the cherries. And you're not going to have to say to them, you're not going to have to say, yo, Billy, I'm pissed at you, right? That's not how it's going to work because there's going to be like, yo, Andy didn't give me my cherries this year. What did I do? 
And so you're going to be able to use these cherries as a lever against your uh, friends, enemies, and acquaintances for the rest of your life. What do you think, Nastasia? I love that. You yeah. know what I think about enemies and signs of crosses. Yeah, so I have a new one. I'm reading uh, this book. So we've explained sign of the cross. Nastasia is a big fan of sign of the cross. It we'll, always works. Oh, yeah, we could talk about it again later. We don't have time to fully get into the sign, sign of the cross. And we don't even have time to get into sealing, no. sealing your enemies in cubes and throwing them into the yeah, deepest holes of the we earth. Should, uh, we should definitely devote the appropriate amount of time to the classic. It's already 12.56. Yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, wait, wait, one second. Jessica, Jessica Harris. Yeah, hold on, wait. I can actually finish this. I've only got two quick questions. Let me just get them. Okay, from uh, Matthias Sexton via Instagram, or Matthias. Uh, I've been reading through modernist cuisine books over the lockdown period, and after reading the section on reductions, I found the last paragraph about reverse osmosis. I did a little further reading on this and found that the fruit juice industry has been leveraging forward osmosis to concentrate fruit juices. Also think uh, maple syrup has been doing it. I found some of the filters are relatively affordable. Um, I was wondering if you had any information regarding this as I've been thinking of recreating this for myself. I don't, but a server show on the, on the chat room has some good videos to point to. And this is something that DIY people do do. Initial concentration, not the full concentration because it's hard to get a very, very, um, high concentrations using uh, RO just because the pressures aren't high enough, but there's a lot of stuff out there. Look at what the maple syrup people are doing. Um, and I'm, there's DIY people out there and you can follow the videos and hopefully someone in the chat room will send me some more information on it. Josh writes in on uh, liquid nitrogen. I'm trying to get started working with liquid nitrogen, specifically nitro muddling. I've been watching some old YouTube videos uh, with Dave at Booker and Dax. He has a small handheld container that he uses to transfer the liquid nitrogen from the large tank to the shaker or glass. What is it and where can I buy one? Almost looks like a small handheld thermos. Well, Josh, you know what it is? Small handheld thermos, but tell him what he can't do with it. Ding, ding, ding. You cannot close it. That's how that German dude blew himself up, almost killed himself, almost wiped out his girlfriend too. So anytime you're going to have a liquid nitrogen thermos, two things. Don't get one with glass in it. Get one that's all stainless steel. We use Stanley's at the bar, uh, and the black ones that we used to use at the bar were Stanley's. Uh, stainless steel Stanley's with, you know, black painted outsides. Uh, the Misfits sticker that uh, Tadaguchi put onto ours is optional but encouraged. Uh, and then they last almost uh, forever. But, but don't as, seal it. You know, as soon as you get it, take the lid and throw the lid away. This way, no one can seal it because you've thrown the lid away. So whenever we get one into the bar, we take the top lid and throw it away and the bottom lid and throw it away. And that's it. And if you need to cap it, you can get like a styro plug and like, like let it rest over the top. But don't. Don't, don't plug them. And remember, you don't want to let them go all the way dry before you refill them because once they warm up, you have to spend all of that energy in the form of boiling liquid nitrogen to re-chill it down to liquid nitrogen temperature. So try to keep it, uh, try to keep it nice and, and full. And, uh, you know, if it should break, you'll notice the outside frosts over. That's how you tell if a doer is broken or if your thermos is broken. All right. So, and we're actually going to almost make it because we started a little bit late because of technical issues. So here we go. We're you ready for us actually to do this, to be done. Yes. All right. Classics in the field. Yeah. All right. We got Jessica Harris, Dr. Jessica Harris, has been a longtime friend of, uh, well, I, you know, I've known her for a long time personally, but of the museum, and is currently the head curator, the lead curator of the show that has, was supposed to open in March, and we all know how opening things in March uh, happened, of um, African slash American Making America's Table, which is an explore, 
Making the Nation's Table, which is uh, an exploration. John, of course, you know, uh, one of the creators of, of the, uh, one, one of the museum staff, uh, people working on it, so it has my back on the corrections of uh, things like that, uh, is a, an exploration of the, um, the contributions, the kind of widespread, systemic, and largely unknown contributions of uh, African Americans to American foodways um, in general, so things that you might not, might not know. Um, you want to give a couple, John? Yeah, Alfred Crowell in 1896 or 1897 was the second African-American in Pittsburgh to receive a patent, and he patented like the clicker lever mechanism on the side of ice cream scoops, which is kind of my favorite thing to point out. I know, Dave, your favorite example is Frederick McKinley Jones, That's who true. is largely responsible for a lot of the cold chain and shipping foods the guy the invented world. the reefer truck. The guy invented yeah. the reefer truck. And his company, right, the company that he founded, he co-founded, he was the yep. inventor, and then there was a money guy, and they co-founded this company. And they still make all of the they still make all of the, the reefer trucks and the reefer boxcars. So if you've ever had a piece of food that was brought to you, it was most likely brought to you by a truck. Even if it got on a rail or got on a boat, it was most likely went from the, from its to the final place to the market in a truck. That truck was refrigerated, and that refrigerator is a direct result of, of his work. So, like the entire food system as we know it would not make sense without him. Anyway, um, built the very first kind of uh, portable portable refrigerator compressor. Um, we tried to get one and the company wouldn't give it to us. I was so pissed. They had one that they had kind of had decommissioned. It looked like we were going to get it for the exhibit. And then for some reason, they just crapped out. Did they ever give us a reason why they crapped out on that? No, they just kept kind of saying it was too big to move. And yeah, they instead recommended we get little toy truck replicas. No, oh, yeah, Joy. Yeah, I really want to go to a museum <laughs> so I can see a toy truck replica. Right? I'm into that. The, the toy truck? Even Nastasia wanted to start the Matchbox Cars uh, Museum. When you were a kid, did you collect Matchbox Cars or were you yes. more of a Hot Wheels? Both. Both? I felt like when I was growing up, you had to choose Hot Wheels or Matchbox. Uh, match- anyway, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. Um, so anyway, so Jessica, Jessica Harris uh, is the lead curator. I've known her for a long, long time. And even before I knew her, I, I, I knew her work. So she, she is, I would say, the kind of f- foremost scholar on... Um, cooking of the African di- diaspora in in the United States uh, and also uh, Africa itself. And uh, I remember the first trip I ever took with her was to Senegal with, with uh, also a friend of the show, Pierre Cham. And I'll tell you, if you ever get a chance to travel through uh, Senegal with uh, Dr. Harris, it is a real treat. But well before I knew her, when I was first researching um, foods from uh, Africa, there was very, 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 very little uh, written uh, about it. And most of the stuff that was written about it was written from a very kind of white and European perspective. And so uh, she wrote, she had been writing books, I guess she started writing books the late 80s, uh, early 90s. But I think one of her most influential uh, kind of middle books was 1998, The Africa Cookbook, Taste of a Continent. And it's one of the first books I was able to find that um, really dealt with uh, the subject of uh, African food from, 
I think, a, a good perspective. So you should go uh, check that out. You should check her out, and you should check out the exhibit that she curated as soon as we are able to open that thing again. We don't also, have a date. Also, her book, oh, wait, I want to say one thing. Her book, My Soul Looks Back, I enjoyed because it wasn't about food. It was about, like, growing up, I mean, uh, living in the in New York in the 60s and how she was friends with James Baldwin and um, Maya Angelou, and it's really cool. And she gives a playlist uh, to listen to while you're reading it. Yeah, there's a section in that book where she talks about how mean Nina Simone was to her, which is kind of funny, right? Yes. Nina Simone was so mean to her. Yes. So yeah. mean. Yes. But anyway... Dr. Harris is a treasure. I'll give, I'll give you one more story about, so like uh, Dookie Chase, a very famous New Orleans restaurant, um, Nastasia had organized for them to come do the, um, the Mofads Gala. If you don't know who they are, like get out from under your rock and look up who they are. Uh, but they, for years, forever, they've never done anything outside of their restaurant. They've never needed to. They've been very kind of New Orleans focused and even within New Orleans, within kind of their restaurant and the community that went to their restaurant. And, uh, you know, the last time I went to New Orleans, uh, you know, Dr. Harris called, told me I had to go talk to them about cocktails. I'm like, I don't really know why they want to hear from me, but I'll do it because you told me to. And then when I got there, I found out she had called them and told them that they needed to talk to me. And it's just the kind of thing. It's like, well, why did you do it? She's like, well, Dr. Harris said to. And that was all you needed to say because people just don't say no to her. You know what I mean? Uh, but it was, you know, she wanted them to come uh, to do something at the gala. And they were actually going to come up to New York and I hope make shrimp clemenceau, which is my favorite thing that I had when I was there. They still, when we get back to whatever... I think they still will. Yeah, but just to show how much weight, she's the kind of person that could just tell someone of that stature, please do it, and they will do it. So she is someone who, uh, she is someone whose word can be trusted. Uh, and that's it, Cooking Issues. Cooking Issues is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.